0: In October 2021, I did an interview with my good friend and world-renowned psychic Chuck Bergman. The reviews are in, and you loved the episode. So I brought Chuck back for another interview about the spirit realm just in time for Halloween 2022. If you missed the last interview or are not familiar with Chuck, let me introduce him to you. Chuck was born in Jacksonville, Florida, and is a third-generation psychic medium following his mother and grandmother. He realized his gifts at an early age, but kept it under wraps for years. Chuck went on to serve in the United States Navy for four years overseas and during the Vietnam War, where he was assigned to special ops and radar operations on aircraft carriers Shangri-La and John F. Kennedy. After the military, he served 32 years as a motorcycle officer, patrol officer, computer and media specialist, an Accident Reconstructionist in Salem, Massachusetts. Since retirement and going public as a psychic medium, the a and Channel and the Biography Channel have featured Chuck on his own pilot program, Psychic Search. Chuck has also been a repeat guest on many live radio shows, including Coast to Coast AM, where Chuck and I met and began our friendship over 10 years ago. In addition to regularly holding sessions and giving readings as a medium, Chuck has helped numerous police departments around the world locate missing persons, solve murder cases, and assist several law enforcement agencies across the country and internationally with ongoing investigations. He regularly holds group and private sessions in Middleburg, Florida, and does phone readings with clients worldwide via Skype. Chuck is passionate about educating people on the concept of life continuing after so-called death. He has completed classes in meditation techniques, psychic mediumship, advanced mediumship, and Reiki. James Von Prague, the world-renowned psychic medium, teacher, and co-producer of the CBS drama The Ghost Whisperer, highly recommends Chuck for psychic mediumship readings and lists Chuck on his website. Chuck co-authored the book The Everything Guide to Evidence of an Afterlife, published in 2011 and wrote his autobiography, The Psychic Cop, published in 2012. Chuck and I did an interview episode on this show in October 2021 and talked about various topics such as, what is life like for you now being a liaison between us and the spirit world? How did you know you were connecting with spirits and not going crazy? Can you describe what it's like when you are in the moment connecting with someone on the other side? Why do you think some people can see spirits and others can't? How do we tell when a spirit is communicating with us? Why do spirits talk in clues or hints? And why do they have limited time to talk to us? And more. So without any further ado, let's welcome my good friend, Chuck Bergman. Hi, Chuck. Thank you so much for coming back.
1: Hi, wifey. Thanks for having me back. It's a real pleasure to talk to you again. I can't believe it's been this much time since the last interview we had together, and I've had nothing but positive results. Uh I've had many emails that are saying how much they enjoyed the podcast. And then when you offered me the opportunity to do it again today, how could I refuse?
0: Thank you. I, I've had so many positive reviews as well. How much people loved you and how much you've answered questions for people. Because I think what we talked about was on such a good conversational level that it really related to people. It was. It, it seemed less... Uh interviewee and more of two good friends talking, which is really what we wanted and a lot of people were complimenting that wow, those were questions that I had and they got answered and this is really awesome
1: That's a good way to put it i I feel that you're very talented in the way that you do your interviewing style and it makes me it makes me only want to come back for more so I'm sure today will turn out good and i I will give a little disclaimer I'm not Um, pretty much everything I give for an answer is based on my observation of the spirit world. And I've been doing readings now for over 30 years. So it's a matter of what either spirits have told me or what I've observed or um, what I've read about. So I may not be in agreement with everyone out there, but I know I'm giving it from what, what I'm actually picking up as words or information from spirits.
0: So let's go into uh, your background. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your time as a cop and how you transitioned into a psychic and being able to talk to these spirits.
1: Okay. And I think it all started at a very early age for me. You know, I was born in uh, Florida and as the story goes, and I've told this story many times, but it is very interesting. And Again, it's like learning from the spirit world uh things that we can uh understand that they're able to do on the other side just by listening to what they have to say and in this case, I was probably five or maybe six years old. I was playing in the in my backyard alone, and I already had a little gun belt on, and I was trying to make a police uniform and I remember I got in a little bit of trouble for this one. I cut the straps off my mother's uh, lounge chair to put one strap over my shoulder, one around my waist, and look like the police officers that I see doing traffic. So I'm in the backyard. I'm making my little uniform. I go in the house. I get some aluminum foil to make a badge. And when I created the badge, it kept falling off my shirt. And being that young age, I got to admit, I teared up and cried a little. But it was a very important moment for me, and I, I just can't say how important it was. I heard a man's voice, and it was as if there were a man standing in front of me, calmly trying to calm me down and use my name and everything. He said, Chuck, don't, don't cry. One day you'll be pinning on a real badge. And it's funny how I didn't let that motivate me in later life so that I always wanted to wear a real badge. In fact, I had forgotten about it. And I started off doing ambulance work and through ambulance work, I got closer to, you know, police personnel and decided I'm going to try the civil service exam and try and become a police officer. And I did. And it was that very day when they pinned the badge on my chest. I remembered back how, you know, some 18 years earlier, the voice was telling me one day I'd be wearing a real badge. So it's making me understand with the spirit world that even as a little boy, they knew what my future was, how it was going to shape, what it was going to turn into.
0: So do you think that our lives are predetermined by the spirits, by our guides helping us, or are they predetermined prior to that? Are we assigned a determination in the spirit realm or – are we guided through predetermined actions by these spirits as we continue through life?
1: Well, there was a reading that I did that really does answer this question. And it was a friend of mine. He's sitting in front of me and wanted to connect with his mother who had passed away. And during the, after the reading was almost over, he was a little frustrated. And he said, look, I'm, getting, I'm in my 40s. Ask my mother in spirit if I'm ever going to get married. And I remember the frustration on his part because he just he was hoping the reading would divulge that so now he's asking me and I've got to hope that spirit will give me something, you know, that we can we can work with. And almost immediately I said, your mother said yes you will. Her name is Suzanne and she drives a Volkswagen Beetle. And I thought, wow, that was a lot to give out, but it was almost like it wasn't me saying it. You know, I gave it to him. But again, this is proving that point. This is what I mean about a lot of stuff I give, I actually learned from the spirit world because it just so happens, uh, I think six months later, he met a girl named Suzanne, took her out to dinner, and they did get married. So one part of it was true. The second part he didn't think was relevant because she didn't drive a Volks you know a Volkswagen beetle. After they got married, they came from, you know, they were up in New England came down to my house in Florida to do a little touring and to stay with me for a week. So we got to tell the story about, you know, his mother saying, Suzanne, and I remembered the Volkswagen Beetle. And my friend said, oh, no, I didn't uh, tell her about the Volkswagen because she doesn't drive a Volkswagen. And she looked at him and Suzanne looked at him and said, gee, I wish you had told me that part. The only day in my life I drove a Volkswagen Beetle was the day that we met I went to a dealership earlier that day. test drove a Volkswagen Beetle. I almost purchased it, but I did not want the payments, so I stayed with my old car. So that's pretty remarkable that six months earlier, they're telling me basically that she would be driving a Volkswagen Beetle the day that they meet, and that's exactly what happened. So is it preplanned? <laughs> it sounds like it.
0: If everything's preplanned, planned why do we fear life so much? Why do we fear death so much?
1: You know, I was thinking about that one and I I feel it's built into us the day we're born that we fear death because it's got to be when you when you're in mom's womb and you're coming out and then you're you know you've got all these aliens around you with probes and needles and whatever they're doing, it's got to be terrifying. And I think that We're automatically from birth predisposed of the concept of, I don't want to go through anything like this again. So I think somewhere in our being, we've got that feeling that I came into the world and it wasn't very easy. I don't think it's going to be easy to leave either. I think I'd rather stay here. And I have a feeling it's on that idea, along with also fearing the mechanism that may take you out, whether it's a car accident a, a lightning strike or you know a disease, whatever should take your life, you're f- afraid of the fear of how that's going to feel as you're dying. and I think that has a lot to do with it.
0: So it's the fear attached to maybe the pain and the suffering that we're going to go through for death that may have a lot to do with it because it relates to that fear and pain from childbirth. Am I understanding that right?
1: Yes. And it, and not only that, I, um, I've i had a few readings that would kind of exemplify what I'm talking about. Um, one was a gentleman on the second plane to strike the World Trade Center, you know, 9-11. And um, he walked me through the whole thing and gave me stuff that, you know, the average person would, wouldn't even know about. One is he's telling me that the plane was banking a hard left before striking the towers. It was real low to the ground and actually vibrating. I guess the lower you go at a high speed and the higher the speed, the more it's going to vibrate. But when and it And this,
0: this is a spirit that you talked to that was on that plane, right? I he just was on know.
1: that plane, yes. And I was giving the reading to his wife, you know, who had booked a session with me. And um, the, the stuff he gave me also made me feel that, He was typing things into a laptop computer, uh, such as what the, uh, you know, the people hijacking the plane, the hijackers, he was typing in their descriptions, what they were doing, what they were saying. He was doing all of that. And then he said he saw all of it go down to the street. And as he tilted his head up and looked, everyone in the plane was still buckled in and they were floating gently upward upward in the sky, up to heaven, I guess. And the next thing he reported was there were three angels on board in the form of either doctors, nurses, um, first aid responders, but every person had three different medical-connected people that would uh, help them with the crossing over, that would make it easier. And then he went on to say how there was no pain, there was no noise they didn't even know what happened. That's
0: so powerful. There's the the nine eleven day situation is something that I don't think we'll ever fully heal from. And I know that there are generations that are born post nine eleven don't remember the day. I remember the day, and I know you remember the day. And there's still so much pain, heartache, and confusion around that. You know, why did it happen? And now looking back in from now, 2022, all the way back to 2020, uh, 2001, all the things that have changed since that day and that continue to, uh, they seem to have stemmed from that day, you know, as far as security and the way that things have changed. And I don't know if this is too strong of a question, but. Have Has that spirit or any other spirit connected to that day given you a message as far as why those things had taken place as far as anything about that day? Or is there at least a message of hope? I, I The angels on the plane that day is certainly a message of hope because it sounds like that they had spirits that came to help all these people, not not just their own personal spirit guides, the people on the plane, but that there was messengers sent to help these people, all of these people that didn't know each other beforehand, that may have never had a connection other than sitting next to each other in the terminal before they boarded the plane. So it's a it's beautiful that there's something that came to guide them up into the spirit realm that day in a in a terrible situation. But do you have any other messages or, or any other um, any anything else about that day that you are able to share? It, it it's such a it's such a strong memory in a lot of people's minds.
1: I'm trying to think. He didn't really give me anything about the uh, perpetrators. You know who they were, why they did what they did, or the reasoning behind it, or any you know universal message that should have come out of that. Uh, to me, the day was all about the wife getting a message from her husband that he did survive death, as, as we call it. And even though he's no longer in the body, he is still around. He's still human. He's still you know, doing what he used to do. Plus, he's doing whatever he gets to do up in heaven. So uh, I didn't feel uh, the reading was about what man had chosen to do that day and probably that all the time preceding it, why this was an okay thing to do. And obviously, you know, it was not an okay thing to do, but, you know, to me, the message was clear that the part we needed to hear that the wife needed to hear is that he didn't suffer any pain. He didn't go through this. I have a funny little end of this only because people wonder like, why would you want to give readings and, and have to, witness stuff like this and feel like you're on the plane and, you know, see the other people that also perished in the crash. There's also a lot of humor that goes along with it sometimes. And I'll, I'll, it was the way this one happened. At the end of the session, I said, your husband's saying goodbye. And I don't know what this means, but he's got a big sombrero on. I have no idea why he'd be wearing a sombrero. (laughs) And she laughed and said, anytime he and I did anything special, Neither one of us drank alcohol. We would get a sombrero and share it. And I said, Oh, you're kidding. So we left the room where I do the readings in my home and we went over to the uh the bar area. <laughs> I made a sombrero and the two of us shared it like in honor of her husband. So and and we've been friends for many years after that. So, you know, there are a lot of thing good things that come out of a reading, but to me the real reward is knowing that you're helping people over a stressful time that they would probably really have a maybe never get over and then be suffering needlessly.
0: Well, you said something really interesting. You said that you knew that he survived death. And that's really interesting because we think of death as the end all. We think that you can't survive death. And if you survive death, that means that you may have had a near-death experience and you came out of it to come back to the body. But what does surviving death mean? Does that mean that you are no longer in the body, but you are a spirit in the spirit realm? And if you don't survive death, does that mean that your spirit ceases to exist?
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty much exactly what it means, that you drop the body, you leave the body, and very little changes. You're know, you now um, operating on a different frequency. You can be in multiple places at any given time. You can probably go around the world in under a second. You know, you've got all these privileges that we don't get in this clunky old body. Um, You still get to be around your loved ones. You get to read their thoughts, their mind. And I've had this happen many times. And again, this is how I learn their world by hearing what they've got to say. And let me just uh, validate that statement real quick. Uh, The first time I, I realized that they could read our minds, a lady was in my home for a reading <clears throat> and me not knowing any anything about her home. I said, your husband's making me say this, but wouldn't it be cool if I could go out of your back door into the backyard, turn to my right. And I see a 10 foot by 10 foot cement slab in your backyard. Wouldn't it be cool if you could put a shed over that and put all the yard tools in it and, you know, do stuff like that. And she said, Today, before I came to your house, I stepped outside to have a cigarette. I turned to the right, looked at my 10 foot by 10 foot slab and thought to myself, wouldn't it be nice if if I could put a shed over it and put the lawnmower, my rake, my shovel and all that in the shed. Point is, she didn't share that with anyone. She thought it. And I certainly wasn't there to read her mind at the time, but here he is coming in reporting what she was thinking earlier that day. And then I would notice it more and more with other readings over time that people would say, How do how would I know certain things that they never shared that with anyone, but yet their loved one in spirit is aware of it. They tell me, and then I tell them that, you know, be careful what you're thinking. <laughs> so
0: when would a spirit cease to exist? When would they not survive death? Is this somebody who did not fulfill a predetermined destination in the body on earth, or somebody who committed very sinful evil acts, or somebody who has completed everything that they need to, and they no longer need to come back.
1: Like I said, I've been doing readings for over 30 years and probably only had one or two sessions where I cannot connect with a spirit for a person that wants to connect and Typically, the, the, as I remember it, the ones that I had difficulty with, and there have only been very, very few, it's the attitude of the person getting the reading or they're trying to disprove what I'm doing. You know, it's usually in the person, not in the spirit. So I haven't really ever seen it where a spirit cannot or will not come through or that they've just vaporized or gone. I haven't seen that
0: it's more of the person has a blockage preventing you from yes. creating that energy connection between them and, and that, the that's going to happen
1: with every medium out there they they all experience that and i i did one recently i'd like to to give the best example of that situation where i was giving a woman a reading and she's in another state and i said i'm hearing the word michael 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 and i'm hearing michael's an attorney but he doesn't work as an attorney does that make any sense? And I said, and "By the way, this is coming from a young man 15 or 16 years of age that wants to talk to Michael." And she said, "Well, my brother Michael is an attorney and he's got a job where he works, but not as an attorney, and his son died a few months ago." I said, "Well, the chances are this is his son wanting to say hello to Michael, your brother." I said, "So, you know, you might want to let him know that this is possible and He can, whether, whoever he finds for a medium, I'm sure his son would like to talk to him. So a few weeks went by and Michael booked a reading with me, had his wife on the phone. And you've had readings before, so you know what to expect. And you know, things that we see and report on aren't exactly um, 100% like you and I speaking. You know, there's a little bit of leeway there. You got to do a little bit of understanding the feeling of what's coming through and what you're seeing. So in this case, I I went to explain how the reading would work to Michael. And I said, hold on. I said, I can't even go any further. Your son is so excited. He's telling me there was a major birthday, either yesterday, today, or tomorrow. A major, major birthday. And when I got total silence, and as a medium, that's not what you want. You want him to jump up with joy and go, oh my gosh you know, so-and-so's birthday. I'm glad he knows about it. So it was silent. And I said, okay, let's open it up a little. I'll take anything during this month. Was there a very important birthday this month that your son would want to start the reading off with acknowledging that person? Silence. And then Michael says, well, me. I said, okay, when was your birthday, Michael? Uh, yesterday. I said, yesterday, didn't you hear me in the opening statement say made your birthday either yesterday, today, or tomorrow? I said, w- you left me hanging. Why Why would you do that? He said, well, you said um, there was a birthday cake, and we didn't have a birthday cake. We didn't celebrate with a birthday cake. And I said, I saw a birthday cake. I told him I saw a birthday cake, which is what started the whole thing off. In fact, it felt like the birthday cake was going to get smashed into my face. That's how close it was. That's how strong it was. I said, So your son was trying to say happy birthday to you and you resisted him. I said, And, you know, it got to the point where two or three more items were similar to that. And I simply refunded the money, discontinued the reading, and said, You're going to have to find another medium. But who I really felt bad was for the wife and the son who wanted the reading, who wanted the communication. And yet the dad had to let everything else get in the way and stop what could have been some very beautiful messages.
0: It sounds like that he had his own reservations from the beginning. You know, maybe I'm only doing this for my wife and son. I don't fully believe in this. So I'm just going to sit here. And then his own ego and reservations made further reservations.
1: Yeah. You know, and while we're on that topic, it's I've also had people cancel a reading because they'll book a reading with me because, you know, especially the one in, that comes to mind is a wife losing her husband and she was devastated naturally. So she booked a reading with me and had a three or four day wait. And in the meantime, told her children about it and they talked her out of it. So it was kind of cute the way it all happened. I, She said, nowhere does it say refund because I don't want to play that game either where if it doesn't meet their expectations know they want a refund. If you don't say, I just bought a new Ford Mustang, then that's a fake reading or whatever. You know, you, you don't want to be held to ridiculous standards. So anyway, I let her know. I said, I said, I'm gonna go ahead and refund the money. That's fine. I said, but here's what I recommend. At some point, book a reading with me again and don't tell the kids. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened, like two months later. And I swear we had like a three hour reading. We got to know each other and to this day we still talk but I know the reading helped her and it was kind of cute that where as long as her kids didn't know what she had done and it's too bad because they could have been part of it also, you know, so people look at this stuff differently and some are afraid of it. And, you know, because of religion, other people feel that it's anti-religious or they're going to have problems. And my attitude is if God didn't want this to happen, I'm the one that would get get in trouble, not the person getting the reading or the spirit, you know, God would take care of me. And I know he would in a bad way, he would take care of me.
0: So this is actually really, um, this is a really good segue into two questions I wanted to ask you that I didn't think I would be able to combine, but we're going to combine them because this will kind of help with everything that we just talked about. So why do you think it's hard for people to believe in ghosts, but it's easy for them to believe in the afterlife? And to touch on what you talked about before, when the doctors were in the plane and helping all the uh, people on that plane at 9-11, when exactly does the soul leave the body when dying? Does it leave the body at a certain point when there's no more brain function and the soul's allowed to leave? Or does it leave earlier than that when a spirit guide comes and picks them up? Or is it the same for every person or is it different?
1: Judging by that that one reading, you know, with the airline, with 911, I feel you're pulled out of your body before impact, before the danger, before the fire or whatever's going on. If it's a car accident, you're actually pulled out before the trauma And the, you know, the plane is a good example. I think if you were pulled out after the impact, you would actually report on, wow, there was a loud boom. There was a flash. Everything went flying. He did report on stuff hitting the ground. He saw his laptop like go fall from the bottom of the airplane heading down toward the street, which would tell me he's watching the laptop during impact. But he didn't feel the pain. He didn't really know what was going on, and he then he felt everyone just like the plane was no longer shaking. It was gently rising up toward heaven, with absolutely no pain and and just a very harmonic feeling with everyone in the plane.
0: Well, let's let's get back to the question first. Do you think it's hard? Why do you think it's hard for people to believe in ghosts, but they believe in the afterlife? So you you may have someone who can't believe that their loved one is communicating to them through you or maybe has shown up in spirit as a uh maybe physically in front of them or they they see an object and they know that that object only has something to do with their loved one who's passed but then they'll say I'll see them in heaven or you know may, may they rest in hell or something it's it's like they know the spirit is there in an afterlife cuz they can relate to that but they can't relate it to being in the physical world. Why do you think that is?
1: That's a hard one to answer. I mean, everyone's got their own beliefs on this stuff. I think some of it is upbringing, some of it is what you've learned through the churches, some of it is what you've seen on television. You know, and I got to admit a lot of stuff on television with this stuff. It's kind of creepy, eerie, and scary, which is exactly what they're trying to promote. So, you know, everyone's got a different take on it. And you're talking to a guy, and up until probably, even though I had things happen to me when I was a child, it disappeared for several years, you know, while I was in the, the Navy and stuff like that. And once I joined the Salem Police Department, seems like out of nowhere it came back, and I would start seeing things, hearing things, knowing things that I shouldn't know. And I still didn't believe it. I was actually giving readings to people with amazing accuracy, and I would still be in denial that you could even communicate with the dead. I just didn't believe it.
0: Let's talk. Let's talk more about this. uh, About let's talk more about when you were a cop in Salem, because this is absolutely fascinating. I, I love the fact that we're able to communicate about this, and both of us having spent significant time. In New England, we know that there's a lot of haunted houses, haunted places, and they they still do a lot of celebrations up there in regards to Salem and what had happened. And Halloween is, I, I find that Halloween is taken differently up there than in other parts of the country. Uh, here in Arizona, it's a lot of partying and a lot of fun. You know, there are kids that come by in their costumes and they like to be scared but there's an entirely different feeling of Halloween up there in New England, especially where you were in Salem and I've been there. It's definitely different. What are, tell us about being a cop in Salem and what are, what are some of the things that um, you've experienced as a cop up there that you can now bring into being a psychic?
1: I think just being around the people, I I would go to lunch on occasion to a restaurant, our favorite uh, restaurant next to the police station. It was named Red Sandwich Shop. It might even still be there. And it was normal for myself, the police captain, and even the dog catcher, and his sister, Franny, would join us for lunch. You know, it was like a a routine we would have. But it would be funny to see, you know, three or four cops at one table, and then another table over (laughs) would be people in total witch garb, you know, wearing the hat, the, the robes, you know, and the little walking cane, you name it, you know, it was like, and we would be friends with them. I, in fact, I was very good friends. I'd like to say I'm still friends with her, but I haven't talked to her in a few years. Uh, Lori Cabot, people who are into, you know, that scene would know Lori Cabot. She was, um, given the title of the official witch of Salem by the governor of the state of Massachusetts. So, it was just kind of funny that she would join us at our table once in a while. Sometimes I would see her off duty and sit and talk with her and stuff like that. So to me, the the witch concept and the, the, the guys, the boy witches or whatever you want to call them, and all of that stuff to me was no more than um, like a, a trade going on in the city of Salem. It was like drawing attention, bringing the merchants money and all like that. I never looked at it as being super serious or anything to be afraid of or anything. And this went on for many years until I did, you know, start reading up on their belief system. And most of it I found to be very, very positive. Um, There were times when I would actually go on patrol and while I'm driving around, it's similar to a meditation. You know, you're driving the same blocks, same beat area, the same, you know, four or five square miles that you patrol up and down the highway doing all that stuff that you do. It's very similar to meditation. And I would find that during that driving on occasion, I would see something on the idea of like a real bad accident. I would recognize the part of my beat that I'm seeing this accident. And I would turn around and maybe start heading in that direction. And wouldn't you know, within a minute or two, I would get the radio call, Chuck, you've got a real bad accident at that intersection that I'm already driving to. And that happened more than once. That was many, many times that would it would just come in out of nowhere and I didn't really understand, you know, how it was working. So <clears throat> I did I did learn from the different visions that I would get including the most fun which was you go to make an arrest, we'll say on shoplifting, and you maybe one person's doing the actual shoplifting. The second one is an accomplice, but maybe not as involved. It's like I could walk up to them right away and know who the main player was. I could feel it, see it, sense it. And then later after, you know, everyone's given their rights and all the statements are filled out and everything, I would be able to compare, well, this is what I thought, and this is what reality is. So then it got to the stage when I, you know, worked in special operations. I would go over to the uh, detective division and I could see four or five people being interviewed. And I would sit down like I'm working on one of the computers nearby, but I'm really just feeling the energy. I'm listening to the statements they're making and stuff like that. And I would know number one's going to be the main player. Number two, didn't do anything at all. Number three, let's let him go now. You know, it's like, I would run through that, and later I'd read the report and get to find out whether I was accurate or inaccurate. And that helped me with development. It was almost like little tools to help me learn, like, when you feel a certain thing and you think it's A, B, or C, by confirming it, you know it was really A, B, or C. You know where to which box to put it in.
0: So you were able to get premonitions about the event before you went there. Does a spirit do that for you would would the spirit talk to you about their more about their murder before you got to the scene?
1: I kind of wonder and what I'm leaving out is one important part is when I first started developing on the police department I you know and I I don't get to hear this voice that I've talked about. I don't get to hear it that often. Maybe in my whole lifetime maybe seven or eight times I've had the voice come in and give me you know, like a statement or information. Like you'll be wearing a real badge. So I guess I was being followed around by spirits that were helping me. One morning, it was probably five in the morning, and I'm, you know, getting ready to unwind, get off my shift at eight o'clock, go home and get some rest. I was actually headed to the coffee shop. And as I turned onto there, you know, the street that would lead to the coffee shop, I heard a man's voice, just like the voice I heard when I was a child. And he was, and this is. I did, at that point, I did not believe in psychics. I really didn't believe in life after death. I'm just trying to get off the shift. That's all I'm doing at that moment. But the statement was, "You will be known as the psychic cop." And I thought, "Who said that? Where are they?" I remember even looking down at the radio when when the station would transmit a, a transmit light would show up on the radio. I thought I was hearing a radio broadcast. That's how clear it was, and it wasn't. It was coming in from from spirit, and I didn't know what it what it was or what it meant or anything. but as things played out, I would say within three weeks' time, I was shaking hands with James van Prague, and you know who he is. you know we've talked about him, and I've been to his uh since I've been to his gatherings where he'll do large group readings and stuff like that. So it was just funny how everything unfolded right after I heard the words, you will be known as the psychic cop, which is why I named my second book that I wrote the psychic cop. (laughs) I had to, I thought, Hey, I can't let that go.
0: I had a experience a couple of years ago where I was going through a very rough time and I remember being in my bathtub and I just felt the end of my rope. I felt that I was I that there was nothing more I could do or give. It was shortly after coming out of the navy. I was trying to break ties with some very harmful narcissistic people that were in my life, but they didn't want to break ties with me. So they threatened legal, they th- were drinking heavily, causing a lot of midnight phone calls and just very destructive. And I remember being in my bathtub and I was just crying and I felt empty. I felt completely void of anything further that I could do. And I was just asking in my head if there was any sign, anything that I could get to let me know if there's something better. And I remember hearing a very deep male voice. And I'm saying that it was a male voice, but at the same time, it didn't feel male. It just felt like a voice. But the tone of it was more male. And it said something along the lines of, it's going to get better. And when that voice came in, it felt like it came from a speaker above me. It, but it was within me at the same time. And it was so powerful. But it was difficult for me to believe because there was so much going on. That it was hard for me to think that there was something else that was going to happen that was good. I, I felt like I was just, I'm done. I'm done with life. I'm at the end. But this said, no, you're not at the end. And fast forward a couple of years, and it's correct. It's right. And I, I won't ever forget the feeling of that voice. But a lot of people, like you and me, have had these experiences where they've felt a voice or maybe even seen or felt a loved one that has given them a message either within themselves as a a feeling or a vibration, or the loved one has appeared in front of them. How do they know what they went through is real? How do we know what you and I went through was real and that we're not going crazy? And how, how can we help other people know that they're not going crazy?
1: If we could do a poll around the world, I'm sure that you're going to find there's more than you and I that have heard the voice. Um, what I'm intrigued with is that you're claiming to have heard what you're describing as a male voice, which is exactly what I heard. But I'm also hearing you say, kind of like I did, this is a calming voice, reassuring voice. It's almost wrapping you in love when it comes around and 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 gives you the information. And I couldn't help but to, tear up a little while you were saying that, wondering how many people have heard the same voice and ignored it and then given up hope and taken their own life. And yet they were given words of help and didn't believe it or thought it was their own mind giving them a fake voice. Um, You know, I, I know that it's not a fake voice because back at the age of five, how would I know about? pinning on a badge? How would I know driving around the cruiser, I'm going to become what is known as a psychic cop? You know, I mean, everything I've been given so far has been true. And I have been given other information regarding my personal life, where it's helped me. It's helped me get through some rough times. And every time it's been helpful and very accurate.
0: Why do some people hear it and others can't? Is it I, I have a, a theory. I, I don't necessarily like it, but I see some truth in it that things such as a narcissistic personality disorder or other personality disorders that have not been treated, um, alcohol, drugs, or other very strenuous, painful mental states prevent people from connecting to that voice. What are your thoughts on that?
1: It strikes a chord with me. One uh, piece of information that I've heard from different mediums, not all of them, but I've heard it from some, and maybe some do not want to share this. And this makes a little sense to me that it's very possible that if you endured a very rough childhood, you're more likely to hear the voices and be in tune to the afterlife because I think they come into your life a lot sooner than, say, a person that's born with a what we'll call a typical family and lots of love and happiness and wealth and all of that. Then the spirit world's not really needed to help that infant grow into an adult. But I think some of us needed help transitioning over the years. And while we were getting that help at the, while all that was going on, we were getting voices. We were getting love. We were getting help. Maybe things that we weren't getting, you know, that we should have been getting, we weren't getting it. So I kind of feel like that might be part of the reasoning that we have an earlier connection with the spirit world than maybe other people did.
0: And maybe some spirits are helping to provide that parental nourishment and love that they're not getting in the physical realm, that there's some sort of spiritual nourishment that they're able to put in, or at least, I, I don't want to say give the promise of, but I do want to say it. And I want to say it because of my r- rough childhood, or, or my rough childhood where I was not given uh, parental nourishment in any in any form, emotional, mental, physical or or even food wise but i had out of body experiences i did see shadow people when my great grandmother died my sister and i had the same dream and we told each other i had no idea but when she died i woke up and tried to tell my family i think i saw my grandmother and my sister came out of her room and completed the rest of the dream she told me and so we've had i've had these experiences And it's almost as if they were there to make sure that I would survive what I survived in order to get into adulthood. And maybe what you're saying is very, it, it seems very true, but what, what seems like is missing is there are certain people who never get out of that terrible childhood trauma and continue it into adult life. So I don't know if those spirits are either still there helping them and saying, hey, you know, you're, you're just, we're here, but you're not listening to us and you're continuing to make bad choices. Or at a certain point, they say, we cannot help you anymore. You're you're just, you have to learn how to get to rock bottom before we can come back and help you. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think you're hitting the nail right on on the head here. It's It's got to be what's going on with that. And you're right. Some people never do even with help from the other side, never do regain normalcy like like they should. And there are, you know, plenty of ways to get get help out there. You know, there, there are, for me, the the probably the greatest thing was when I learned about meditation. I could go into meditation, step out of my body or do whatever, and learn to um, redesign how I felt about things and, you know, what was going on in life.
0: Would you recommend meditation for anyone to help them clear out their physical and mental clutter to be able to get to the spirit realm? Or would you recommend it at, would you recommend it at all? I mean, I I recommend it. I, I feel it's an incredibly helpful tool. I feel that there's a lot of people who think it's a little too, um, Buddhism-y or too out of their religion, but is it a tool that can help to get rid of what we have going on now to connect to the spirit realm, or is it a tool that can simply help us get to a better place in the physical realm to fulfill the predetermined destination by the spirit realm?
1: I think it is for everyone. I can't imagine anyone that it would not help, unless they really don't need any help at that point in their life, Um, I know a lot of people that took meditation to improve their mediumship skills. And I remember one lady in particular would, would go to class and every week, everyone, you know, would do the meditation and then everyone would have a little message for someone in the group or they would see something. And every time we went, you know, the circle, I went around to this one lady, she would say, well, I didn't get anything. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything, which is kind of odd when you figure everyone else is. She's not. So anyway, this went on for probably six months, and then one day she raised her hand at the end of a meditation and said, "I saw something, I saw something. I saw something." She was so excited. And uh, you know the instructor said, "Okay, great. What did you see?" She said, "The color blue went by really slow, and then it disappeared, And that's all she got. But for her, that was the beginning. It seemed like after that, the meditation started working she realized what she had to do to let go and from that point on she was you know a different person she said it it accomplished what she was looking for but it took the 6 months for her to finally let go and allow the energy to do its work
0: has the spirit told you what their purpose is for the pain that they went through on earth whether it be physical or mental for example, have they said that they had cancer because it was a part of their karma or they went through um, particular blockages because they needed to they needed to be able to get over them to achieve the, ne- the next spiritual pillar?
1: My belief on that, and it's just from the different readings that I've had, and I've given readings for even two-, three-, four-year-old children that will come through, and give pictures and messages and stuff like that. My interpretation of it, this is again, my own belief is it's all part of the risk of the soul entering a body. It's not a perfect fit. It's not a perfect match. When you are born and you're merging the two or whatever point the two are merged, there's always a risk of the body failing. It's no different than do I buy a Cadillac? Do I buy a, we'll just use Volkswagen again or Chevrolet. One vehicle might be built better than the other and last longer. Same way with our bodies. You know, your heart could fail. The starter could fail. You could get a flat tire in the car. You could lose a limb on the body. You know, back and forth, back and forth. I don't feel it's anything intentional. Maybe that's a better way to put it. I think that the um, the cancers, the and some of it is induced, whether you're in a an environment that would, you know, attract cancers, like a heavily, if you're living in a family that's everyone's a smoker and you're, you know, running around with diapers on, then you're probably pre-exposed to illnesses later on in life that could take you out very early. And I don't think that there's any being out there, even a God out there that would say, let's let this baby, that's only six weeks old, die or have cancer or, you know, fail in any way. I really think it's the risk of being in the human body, which is so delicate. There are many things that affect it. And I don't necessarily believe it's going to be from a past life or your, your thoughts or your feelings or any of that. It's just the way the body is built.
0: But does improving the physical body help to improve the spirit that's in it?
1: Sure. Why wouldn't it? I mean, you you got a better blood blood flow to the brain. Everything is better. Everything is stronger. You're less likely to get sick. Um, So maybe we're working at it the wrong way. You work with the body first, and then that will work with the spirit. That will put you in a much better place. And if nothing else, you're going to feel better about yourself. And what we create in our imagination can come to fruition, so think positive, live positive, think negative, and you're going to have a negative life I, my my uh, best one was uh, there's a reason why hypochondriacs are always sick. It's kind of like that's what they want, and that's what they get.
0: Does the pain that a person went through in the physical life automatically disappear when they enter the spirit world? So when we say, May they rest in peace or they're not suffering anymore. Is there a truth to that? Or do we carry some of our physical pain into the spirit world?
1: You know, I've only seen it once or twice, and one was rather recent. And it was it was a really unique story in that a husband and wife sat down in front of me, and it was the wife's mom that had just passed. And as they're sitting there, I, I truly saw the mom standing in front of both of them, Uh. A hand going up and down, pointing her index finger at both of them, angry, 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 crossing her arms, yelling, you name it. The mother in spirit was ticked off. And this was a recent passing, by the way. <clears throat> I think she'd passed within the month. So I couldn't figure out how do I start reading off with such a negative vibe or vision. So I ended up just saying, I'm going to tell them what I'm seeing. And I when I told them that, you know, the daughter started crying and she said, what happened was they didn't believe in the um, the vaccine, and mom was scheduled to get a shot, you know, the vaccine, and husband and wife talked mom out of it. So mom canceled the appointment, appointment, immediately got COVID, and died from it. So that was her anger. But this also answers your question. She didn't spend the whole reading angry. She shifted immediately to being the loving, caring, happy mom, happy to be where she is. Everything was fine. But she knew by starting the reading off with her disappointment at her daughter and son-in-law, you know, to talk her out of getting the vaccine. That was legit, that she would be angry over that. But does she carry it with her on the other side? I don't believe so. I felt it was more of a I'm proving that it's me, and you know I would be angry at what you made me do.
0: Well, then do we all have a predetermined time, or is the spirit, for instance, in her case, it seems like she's mad because she went before her time, but if we all have a time, then is she just mad at the way that things went down?
1: Yeah, I think she's angry that she felt she would have been here longer, which is another point she's been on the other side. She knows what it's like over there. She knows what what it's like over here. Her choice, obviously, was to still be here. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been angry. She would have said, hey, thanks for talking me out of the vaccine. I'm in a much better place. She didn't do that. She's letting them know that they were wrong in stopping her from getting the vaccine, which it may or may not have prevented you know, her death with COVID. So you know, I see it as, a, a, again, a learning tool for me to say she's letting them know it really is her. She's aware of what they their decision was. And she would also know. That's why they had their reading. They were very upset that mom died from COVID after they talked her out of it. So she wanted to make sure that they knew it was her. And then after that, the whole reading was all positive, very loving, and I think very healing, For not only the mom in spirit, which is a good point, to get to say these things to her daughter, but for the daughter to hear what mom really felt about it and that mom's okay with what happened in the end.
0: Well, do you ever talk to someone on the other side and get a bad feeling as if they're a bad spirit? Or do you, the bad feelings that you get, do you just get as a result of the messages that they're they're trying to give you to their loved one?
1: I've never really had a bad spirit, and in one case, I'll never forget when my phone lit up here at the house with the caller ID, and it said uh, Texas Death Row on it, and I was doing a reading for a person, and it was a national case, and that person was with another person who was put to death you know, by the system for very bad stuff, so the one that was still alive and waiting to be executed wanted to know how that person, you know, that was already executed, how they're doing. And all in all, it was a very positive reading. The second, you know, the person on the other side kind of, he admitted to what he had done as, as being terrible and everything, but then it shifted to their friendship, their growing up together and plenty of validations of things between the two of them that I would have no way of knowing. So I don't, I think what we do here in the body, I think you carry it with you on the other side. And I know, too, that um, people around you also know that you were evil when you were here. And I really do believe that's your punishment.
0: The punishment is to be here to know and for people to know that you're evil. So is your punishment. People here know it. it and
1: people on the other side automatically know it.
0: So your punishment is your reputation
1: true. Your reputation carries with you to the other side. And if you're known for being really bad or evil, they're going to know it on the other side as well. And how they respond to you, I don't don't know if it makes a difference or not, but my observation is they still mingle with other family members. They still get to do a reading, but they've got to feel it inside. What they did here was wrong.
0: So there's some people out there who I'm I'm sure are going to think there are very evil people throughout history. you have uh Hitler Mao, and what what would the circumstances in the afterlife be for such evil people of their caliber
1: I'm not really sure that they're handled any differently i've i don't i I don't know how to word it I don't think they're put in a special colony or locked up in a cell or their only punishment would be that everyone knows and everyone understands how bad they were. And even they probably can't explain it away and say, hey, I'm really good inside because that doesn't work. People on the other side, I know they can read our thoughts, they can read our minds. I've had a lot of proof of that. And it's, I think that's your punishment, everyone knowing how you were when you were here.
0: So it, sounds like, and this is going to be a very strong statement, this is not going to resonate or agree with everyone, but it sounds like the concept of hell is truly a self-made concept in the physical world carried through reputation and physical actions, not necessarily a fiery realm that we all have to deal with for eternity.
1: Yeah, what did I read not too long ago that So far, the church and man has created over 500 different devils to satisfy their way of instilling fear into man to get us to do the right thing. I mean, it's got good intentions behind it. But when I heard there were over 500 different devils created over the year, many, many years, it kind of shows you that I think that thought is necessary that if if you don't do good, bad will be awaiting you, and it really will be awaiting you. I don't buy in. And that's another thing. I, I've never had a reading where I can't reach a person because they're in hell. It's never happened.
0: That's really insane. Even
1: murderers. I've read families, and then later at the end of the reading, they'll say, you know, my son murdered two or three people, and then they murdered him, you know, and and yet there is no... He comes through like any other spirit. To the family, even though he did this one or two bad act, over the span of his life, maybe it, if you clip that part off, he was a great person. So I kind of see how a family would feel about a person, like that's not how I know him. So they, they're they you know not okay with what he did, but if you could erase that, you had a good person. So it keeps going back to the choices that we make, decisions that we make, and how we treat others around us.
0: So I'm going to combine two uh, two questions because I think that this is really going to uh, continue on with this topic. It sounds like that suffering is an inevitable part of a human experience caused by humans, not necessarily an evil spirit entering a body and therefore causing the suffering. Maybe there is a case or two out there. And if you have any other thoughts on that, I would, I would love to know. But are there different levels of spiritual achievement, such as a normal person becomes a spirit, but a person who has done more uh, spiritual work or saintly acts on earth becomes a higher level of spirit and somebody who has committed certain crimes or murders, or is a bad person becomes a lesser of a spirit? Or do we all become equal in the afterlife. And this goes back to the hell that we live on on Earth.
1: You'll like this. We're going to think back of when you were in the Navy, the chain of command. It's on that idea. You know, the command levels, you know, you have the third class petty officer, second class, first class, then the chief and the warrant officer. Boy, think of all the different levels. I think it's the same level with the spirit world that you automatically progress as you progress. And there is a difference. And I think those that are on the lower level doing the groundwork are doing stuff like we talked about earlier. And as they get good at it and work their way up, the more they put into it, the better the results of what they do, the higher up they go. And another thing I'd like to say is if you were, if you and I entered into, we'll just say into a restaurant and we said, let's walk around and pick out the smartest person in the restaurant. Let everyone do what they're doing, eating or whatever. Don't you feel that you could maybe walk by a certain table and go, here he is, the smartest man. It's like there's an aura around there, and there's something you're going to feel. It might be just talking to him for only a few seconds that you know you've got an intelligent, elevated being. And I think that um, I think it starts here on Earth, but it continues on the other side. So if you exit here and you're already at a higher level, we'll say, Then you start off at a higher level upstairs.
0: Does that mean that you get different or higher levels of picks of bodies that you get to choose to come into when you want to reincarnate?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm okay with the reincarnation thing. I think it does happen. But maybe you're right. Maybe you do get to choose what part of the world you're living in, what part, whether you're male, female, black, white. Asian, whatever you want to be, maybe that is, you're given that privilege of saying, this is what I want to do this time, and you're allowed to do it. You know, there's so many things we don't understand about that part of reincarnation. I'm really baffled by it. I've read several books about it, and I have a hard time following a lot of the theories.
0: Have you found that the spirits that you've talked to have said, that there are certain things that they wish they did more of when they were alive. Did they wish that they loved more, spent more time with their families, gave more of themselves to organizations, uh, charitable organizations, or did they wish they meditated more? Is there a common theme that you find?
1: Yeah. And I don't want to disappoint you, but it's almost just the opposite. They may be feeling that way before reading or before I connect with them but I've never had that during a reading where they're necessarily um, disappointed in the way they were when they were here. It's usually about comforting the person that's getting the reading and making validations and giving them a little future advice and stuff like that. But they rarely critique themselves other than once in a while. I, I, I will hear that, wow, if I could do this life again, I would do it differently. But I feel that's like everyone that's living now, I look back at, At my experiences in life. And if you could say, let's do that one more time, with my knowledge now, I would definitely do things differently.
0: When someone dies, do they know that they're dead or do they need help from spirits to tell them that they have passed on? For instance, does a spirit have to, um, or does a spirit, when they enter the spirit realm, Does it almost look and feel like the physical realm? And then they have their loved ones around them and they say, no, honey, you're dead. Or do they know that they're dead? Because we have, uh, there's so many stories of ghosts and they seem that they're trapped between the physical world and the afterlife. So I, I guess this again, combines another question. Um, are ghosts trapped between the physical world and the afterlife or are they in the afterlife and are able to transition to a, vis- a visual form in the physical world? And if that's the case, they have to know they're dead, right?
1: I remember one in, case in particular where I was giving a family a reading and their son put me in the mode of the final moments of his life. I said, he's on a motorcycle and he's riding next to his best friend named Nicky. And the dad said Nikki was with him when he died. Nicky was his cousin. I said, oh, okay. And then he takes me to the scene of the accident. I'm reliving the scene of the accident, you know, with the young man. And the funny thing is, he said he took his crash helmet and, and walked over to the side of the road. Now, this is the one that's in spirit. He walked over to the side of the road and went, oh, my God, Nicky got killed. Nikki's underneath that truck. His motorcycle's all ruined and everything. And I'm looking at all the people who are standing there looking at the scene of the accident. He said, then he looked again and said, Wait a minute, that's my motorcycle under the truck. That's me laying on the curbing over there, and they're doing CPR. And he walked over and he said, Oh my gosh, I'm the one that died. So that's one example of how. And I don't know if that was a fluke or what happened there, but he's letting me know. He didn't even know he was dead at first, but then you're back to again, the feeling of he died in a motorcycle crash, didn't feel it, didn't know he died. And he's actually watching them work on his own body. And then as far as he remembers, he said it was just very loving and very gentle and up he went to heaven. And I believe he talked about who he met, like his grandmother and different people. And, you know, everything was kind of normal after that for him. So I guess we can all have different experiences depending on, you know, the mechanism that happens to us at the very end.
0: Well, it sounds like that there is a disconnection between the identity of the body and the identity of the spirit. If this, if spirit Nikki is able to look at the body of Nikki not recognize that they're one by saying, oh my God, Nikki is dying or dead and saying, wait a minute, that's me. It sounds like that there's a totally different identity that the spirit takes on once that they're in the afterlife, but they identify with the physical body once they're in it to maintain that life.
1: I can't argue with that at all. <laughs> Very well put. <laughs> Very well put. I think, yeah, and I know you're right on that. And I've, I've only had similar ones where things like that would happen. And I I do want to tell one more quick story that I think is important, you know, because everyone always asks the question, how do you know you're not reading the thoughts of the person that you're giving the reading to? And it was when I first moved to Florida, you know, when I retired from Salem and moved back home to Florida immediately, I got a call and it was a woman in uh, California. She said their son had been missing for eight months. They weren't sure if he was dead or alive, and they wanted to see if I could use psychic ability to say, you know, if he's living with a friend, is he dead, you know, what's going on with him. The bottom line is he ended up giving me exact information, including map coordinates of where to find his body. He even named the area by name, you know, where the body would be found, and when you put an X on the map with the coordinates that I gave them. It ended up somewhere in the Sierra Nevada mountains. What happened was the family notified the police in that area. They were able to fly a helicopter over and where the X would have been on the map. I said, that's where you'll find his pickup truck and his body is next to it. And this is like 24 hours after the reading, they fly a helicopter over, they find the body. My point is, he was the only one that knew where his body was. No one else knew. They had been searching with dogs and teams and the media, the police, everything for uh, eight months, didn't get any results. We do a reading, and within 24 hours, we've got the body. So, my point is, the only one that knew where the body was, other than maybe, you know, God and the other spirits, would be. The young man that I was connecting with. And there was a lot that came out during that reading that there were too many facts there that were right on the money that when it was over again, I said, wow, I'm not reading the parents. I'm not reading. There's no one else to give me the information other than him. Or, you know, it could have been someone else in spirit giving it, but it was accurate information. It was him and they had the body within 24 hours. And the funny thing is That afternoon, I got a call from the police department in California. It was so cute. Uh, Mr. Bergman, we listened to the recording that you did yesterday. Have you ever been to California? (laughs) I said, nope. I just retired from a police department. I'm in the South. I've never been to the West Coast. So (laughs) I said, I've got a good alibi. But they were intrigued. Like, how did I do that? Being all the way across the country, when yet they're there and they couldn't find the body.
0: So let's build on that. How can you tell when a psychic is fake?
1: Um, The way I feel about that is I think we all have psychic abilities, but to what level do you have it? We can all play chopsticks on a piano, but can you play any more than that? The only way you're going to play more is if you take lessons, if you study it, if you work hard on it, or maybe if you're super, super lucky and have spirit guides They're that willing to help that without practice, they're, you know, they're able to help you and you don't have to go through what most of us go through, which is kind of like the piano lessons every day. You're learning how to do a, do a reading and you learn from your mistakes and you learn what you should and shouldn't say during a reading. You know, there's a lot of aspects to it. To me, the biggest fear was getting on stage in front of people and when you first get up and they introduce you and you look around, you have no clue what you're going to say. And that that's probably the most terrifying thing. If you're a comedian, you already know your jokes. If you're a singer, you know the lyrics you're going to sing. But when you're a medium, you have to get up there. And from that moment, trust spirit to say, this is what I'm going to give you and they're going to work with you. And it's going to be a damn good day. And it should be impossible to do what they do but they do it.
0: So has your communication with the spirit world improved over the years, just through your practice, just through continuing to give readings, recognizing what is real information and what isn't?
1: Yeah. You know, and it can be, you learn to trust. That's the biggest uh, thing of all. I did one the other day, which was kind of remarkable. The lady was sitting in front of me and it was her husband that had just passed. And it was pretty recent. I said, wow, this is pretty cool. He's down on one knee, giving you a bouquet of flowers, telling you how much he loves you, how much he loves you. And I said, and I just want you to know, they don't usually start a reading off that way because that would be easy for me to make up. And she said, well, today's his birthday. And I thought, well, gee, in my head, I'm thinking, well, that doesn't kind of line up with why would he be on one knee giving her flowers if it's his birthday? Why isn't he showing me the birthday cake? Why isn't he holding up fingers? This is how old I would be. None of that. I thought, well, that doesn't make sense then for him to say how much he loves you with flowers and they look like roses to me. I said, and yet you're telling me it was his birthday. It should be the other way. It should be you giving him something. She said, nope. Every year on his birthday, he would bring home a dozen roses for his wife on his his birthday and because she had the reading on his birthday the first thing he did was give her a dozen roses that's so, really beautiful so when you see i know it gives you chills almost like what a great guy in life to come up with that concept and to think that that was the first thing he talked about during the reading and he did many more things during the reading that made her feel comfortable that absolutely you know him coming through but things like that i never forget And it it is a testimony to me how I have to see it, look at it and analyze it a little, but then basically say, this is what they're giving me. So they're doing the work, not me. I just have to kind of be the middleman and, and at times be a translator.
0: So what are some things that we can all do to help us improve our trust, to help us go beyond just playing chopsticks? to clear out the mental clutter and be able to communicate with our loved ones on the other side or receive messages from them and to know it's real. For someone like me, who's been through over 20 years of gaslighting from their parents and from other relationships, I have a hard time understanding what I hear and experience is real. And there's very few times where I know it's 100% certain that I can trust this. So what are some things that we can all do to help?
1: I guess the, the meditation, the hard part, and it was hard for me in the beginning, is to learn how to set aside my own thoughts, my own feelings. Uh, you know, I got to go to the grocery store later. I got to put gas in the car. I got to pick the kid up at the library. I got to do this. I got to do that. You've got to learn how to push all of that aside and almost become a different person. Like when you were laying in the tub and the feeling I got there is when you have the water in the tub, and you're lying in it. You're also grounded to the earth through the water. A lot of people will tell you that in the morning, taking a shower to go to work, out of nowhere, they'll get answers to some of the problems they couldn't solve the day before. And here you go with the water thing, and probably the redundancy of washing your arm, now washing your legs, washing your face, washing your hair. You're doing the same repetitive thing over, like a meditation every day, every day, every day. So I wouldn't discount things that I'm getting either during a bath or taking a shower or even driving in the car when things are popping in. When you get really, really good at this, you can tell your own thoughts apart from thoughts that are coming in from the spirit world. And that's they're either going to communicate with you through vision, through feeling, and sometimes through voice. And one other way is it's kind of weird I call it afterthought. And afterthought would be on the idea is you remember how it felt when you did the, the bath and you heard the voice. Think of the afterthought would be today thinking back on that experience. See how it's got a little bit weaker energy. It's got a weaker, your brain did store that little video of, clip, if you will, called a video clip. It stored it in your brain somewhere, but the compression rate is so bad that you only get to remember parts of it. And you may even get to see an open area with the tub and you're in it, but you're not seeing the sink and, you know, the doors and windows. So it's very funny and they'll show you just enough. And that's the part that you keep in your memory. So for spirit to come in and trigger that memory in your brain is pretty easy. They can show you that whenever they want to show it to you. Almost like you can access it when you want to remember what it was like when you heard the voice. But if you hear it and you go, wait a minute, I wasn't even thinking about A, B, or C, and yet it's popping into your brain, it's usually then coming in from another source.
0: Would you say that flashbacks are a part of the human mental experience or are flashbacks spirits trying to communicate with us through a video clip?
1: I think that flashbacks are usually flashbacks that it has to do with something that we're being reminded of for some reason, but it could be triggered by spirit. I'm very fortunate that even when I sit down to do a reading, I may be doing a hundred things, you know, before the people come over for the reading, we come in, we sit down. And then I'm thinking like, Ooh, how am I going to get all that garbage out of my head? And I don't even have to, I'll just say, well, have you done a reading before? Well, we'll talk for a matter of maybe a minute. And bingo, either a birthday cake will show up or a car hitting a tree will show up or something significant will pop into my head. And that's when I know it's spirit giving it to me. And then we're off and running from that point.
0: So why are our loved ones involved with some of our activities and not involved with others? Why would spirit be involved at that moment that I was in the bathtub, for instance, and not be involved when I felt at my lowest in other situations or... Be involved as Nikki seeing his body, but not being involved right before the motorcycle accident.
1: I think it all goes back to free will. You know, you made the decisions to feel the way you felt, and Nikki and his and his partner decided to operate their motorcycles the way they were operating, or maybe even go out that day. I think I, you know, I really do feel that certain things. Because of free will, we cause it to happen. And if you do cause it to happen, but you've gone too far, I think that's when the other side will try and reel it in. I know I went through a rough period where there were a couple of bad things that I wanted to do, and I got in my car ready to carry it out, and I would see across my windshield and go home or something like that, very brief, very quick. I'd say, then I go, what the hell am I doing? It kind of reminds me of the O.J. Simpson defense where he doesn't remember, you know, killing Nicole. And most of us believe that he really did. But on that idea that he could have blacked out from that, he could have done it, not known it. But was he given a warning is the part that I'm more interested in, because I think we are given warnings on before a bad thing happens. And yet some of us pay attention and some of us don't.
0: And that definitely would explain why some of us have carried out on those intrusive thoughts and the things that we think about and others don't carry them out. It has to do with, are you stronger than the, the voice or the spirit presenting itself to you, telling you don't do this?
1: That makes perfect sense. I, I- I think that's it. It's still free will. Are you going to listen to spirit or not?
0: Free will presents itself as a voice within us, and spirits do as well. Do free will and spirits come from the same place, or is free will strictly a human conscious
1: experience? I would pick human conscious experience because... I feel this is what we decide to do, and they may or may not agree with it. And I do have one other thought worth thinking about is to a point, you and I are very boring to the spirit world. I mean, think of what you do all day long. They can't help you out all day long. They don't need to help you out. But what are you doing? Are you dusting? Are you playing with your cat? Are you, you know, playing on the computer? Do they need to hang around you all the time and say, boy, you got to do this, you got to do that? They give us a break. They let us do that free will thing where we decide, this is what I feel like doing. This is what will make my life better. And and to the spirit world, they'll say, well, it's not going to make... We may not agree with that, but if that's what he wants to do and that's what he's aiming for, then they they go along with it. Even though you know there's risks, you still do it. So then they're not obligated to help you. But I have had spirit let me know certain things. I'll never forget the one gentleman where we were finishing up a reading. And at the end of it, I said, I'm going to describe an intersection to you. Let me know if you recognize it. And I named everything on every corner. I said, do you know where that place is? And he's in another state now. And he said, yeah, I pass through that every morning when I go to work. I said, for the next few months, even though you may have a green light at that intersection, I want you to slow down, look to your left. Because I'm seeing a truck coming through that lost its brakes. And I said, and this is going to be pretty bad. It's going to be, I, I saw it as a fatal. I didn't want to scare him. And he says, oh, okay, Chuck, and all that. Two days later, he emails me and asked me to call him. He said, when you gave me that intersection, I recognized it right away, but I thought you were crazy as a bat when you said, look out for the truck and all of that. Well, this morning, or not the next day, but the day after, he was on his way, had a green light, and a truck lost its its brakes, went right, and he locked up his brakes and was able to stop because he was prepared. The truck went right in front of him, hit a couple of other cars, and did a lot of damage and hurt a lot of people. But he said he would have been the first one hit if he wasn't purposely looking through the left, even though he had a green light. And that one surprised me as well. So they they do offer us precognizant information to help us skirt around a bad situation. And if you listen and you take the advice of spirit, that's okay that you were spared.
0: I had a friend who was going through a really rough time with his family and dealing with a child who was causing legal difficulties. And he was asking me for advice. I had my little pendulum and I got it wasn't, it was a message in the form of a voice, not as strong as the bathtub incident. It was just more, this was all internal. And I said to him, I said, if you do not get a handle on this, something really bad is going to happen and you're not going to be able to get out of it. And that's all I knew. And I knew it to be true. And it was a very difficult situation that he was going through with a child, his stepchild accusing him of doing certain things and the police became involved and he got arrested. And so he was going through a lot of legal issues. And I remember him telling me that he doesn't know what else to do as far as handling or disciplining this child. And then this incident happened. So there was a lot of um, issues and I didn't know the full extent of it at all until it all blew up. I just knew that something, uh, bad as far as accusations and now he's in jail, found guilty of those accusations Oh no! and it doesn't seem like he's going to get out. I, I really have no idea about the full extent of it. Uh, there's a lot of things that I've heard and a lot of other things that I know, But I do remember that voice, that feeling, and I told it to him. And I don't think he took that to heart.
1: He didn't, obviously, and it's too bad people don't. I mean, just like the gentleman with the, you know, going through the green light, if he totally thought I was a whack job, he wouldn't have looked to the left in the first place. But by doing it, he was able to apply his brakes and stop. So too bad this didn't happen in your case. But that's going to happen where they give us warnings. It's up to you, free will, whether you abide by it or not. I've learned that if I get a message, I remember once I was really um, caught up in something you know, happening in our family. And I started to go out the front door to take action on it. And my own mother's voice came in and I recognized it. And all she said was one word, no. I went, okay. And I turned around and came back in. And as it turned out, had I gone, I probably would have been shot. And I know the circumstances there. And I I heard it was a setup in a way. And good thing I didn't do it because when she said no, it was so strong, so clear. I turned around, went back in the house and said, I'm going to give this a second thought, you know, and thank goodness. And it's funny how when we cool down, you do change, you know, you do probably take a smarter route and it could even save your life obviously
0: chuck we're coming up to the end of our of our interview today and once again this is an amazing conversation just like every conversation that i have with you it's always enlightening it's so fulfilling and i want to help leave this on a positive note. i don't think that this interview is negative by any means but I would love to end in a in a positive note there is a lot going on in the world right now do you find that spirits have a message of hope for this world
1: a couple of times I've tried to zero in on that and basically the the message I get is over time you know think of watergate think of hurricanes there's always something going awry in our in our world unfortunately now we've got cameras everywhere we've got reporting like we've never had before we've got you know YouTube we've got all kinds of ways to find out what what's truly going on in the world and we're seeing it almost firsthand we didn't have that before we saw what the news wanted us to see and I think part of our problem other than you know looking at higher gas prices and you know the things at the stores and everything. It's not much difference than we went through five years, 10 years, 20 years ago. It's just that now everything's right in our face. We're aware of it and we can't escape it.
0: Chuck, this has been an amazing conversation and I can't thank you enough for coming back onto my show and people get such value and comfort out of hearing what you have to say. So I would love for you to plug your website um, how you do readings. So please give a couple of minutes and talk about that.
1: Okay. The website is chuckbergman.com spelled C H U C K B E R G M A N.com. All one word. Um, the booking a reading. There's this nice calendar. Just click on either the top bar or the middle piece where it says to book a reading, a phone reading, and if you want to do an in-house reading because you're in the Florida area, and believe me, I've had people fly in from other countries. I've had them come from all over the United States for a session with me. And if you want to do an in-house, the the instructions are there on how to set it up. And below that is an area where I've got little podcasts or little video clips that are worth hearing. One in particular is about... Um, eight minutes long and it's different clips of different readings that I've done. Give you the example of the more connected you are, the more um, enthusiastic you are during a reading, the better the information will be. If you fight it, then it's going to be like going to the dentist. It's not going to be fun. Um, So I recommend playing back there. I think there are only three on the website. There are many more. If you Google my name, put in medium Chuck Bergman and, you know, plenty will pop up, but that's about it in a nutshell, you know, and there also I'd like to recommend there's one story on there called it's on the top bar called your honey story. And it's written by a good friend of mine who lives down in Miami. And she came to see me when her 18 year old daughter died in a car crash. And she gives a run of what it was like to be in the emergency room to get that phone call to later, you know, after the funeral, come and hear about me, and then drive all the way to to my area, three hundred miles away, to have a reading, and then she even talks about our friendship, where I've gone to Miami to visit her and visit her family. So I'm just saying, read the story, your honey story, and if you've lost a loved one, it'll really strike a chord with you.
0: It's a really powerful story. I have listened, I've to that story over and over again. Um, and I can't get enough of it. Chuck, you are amazing. Incredible as always. Thank you so much for coming onto my show. And I can't thank you enough for everything that you will be bringing to the listening audience. And as always, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow me on Twitter at MindChicken, Instagram at Nuggets, or leave a review on iTunes. Listen to anywhere you listen to podcasts, or visit chickenmynuggets.com. Chuck, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Pleasure's been all mine. I really enjoyed it. Let's not wait a whole year to talk again.
0: No, I agree. Let's do this a little more regularly. And Sounds everyone good. seems to love it, including us. So let's try to figure something out.
1: Great. Love it.
0: All right. Thank you, Chuck.
1: Thank you.